And welcome back. You're tuned in to Real People of Orange County on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We are always available via podcast, both on KUCI's website as well as Kimberly Martin's website. I'm your guest host, Marie Stone. Kimberly is out this week, but I'm always excited and happy to be in her chair. This show is an informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. The guests on this show are all people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity. And before I bring today's guest on, I want to make one quick announcement. Uh, This coming Monday, September 12th, Um, We are celebrating suffrage and the vote. Uh, There is a film, Inez Mulholland's Forward into the Light, conducted by the Orange County National Organization of Women, OC Now. Um, It is happening this Monday, September 12th. Refreshments in a social start at 6 o'clock at 15600 Sand Canyon here in Irvine at the Community Room. And um, the film will be screened. The filmmaker, Martha Wheelock, will do a question and answer. And there will be free raffles and refreshments. Um, So anyway, if you are interested in that, look for Celebrating Suffrage in the Vote. It is put on by OC Now, and it is coming up this Monday. You can find out more about that online. But on to today's show. I am so happy today to be chatting with a woman whose reputation precedes her. I've been hearing stories about the wonderful Mary Franz for a few years and from a few completely different sources. And so today uh, we get to meet. Mary Franz is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in Laguna Beach. She conducts individual psychotherapy, group counseling, and workshops. Her work emphasizes issues surrounding depression, bereavement, life transitions, conscious aging, women's concerns, relationship problems, codependence, on and on, uh, menopause, the various seasons of our lives. She is also a counselor at the Laguna Beach Seniors, providing short-term counseling for seniors. It is my huge pleasure to welcome her on. Mary, welcome. And thank you so much, Mary. Thanks for coming Great. in. Thanks mm-hmm. for coming in. Um, so I'm gonna, I, I gave a little introduction of you, but I want to give you a chance to give a little introduction of you and mm. talk about how you got into psychology and into counseling and kind of take us into your, your life path mm. in this. Mm. Well, I'm very grateful for my path leading me to where I am today. Um, if I had to say, pick a beginning, um, I would say it was when I was a re-entry student at Cal State Fullerton, and I tentatively started taking courses in their human services program. Not quite sure what it was about, but being somewhat intrigued by the counseling orientation that the program had. And after my first week of counseling, I just found myself like skipping in the halls. I was so excited because I found my path. I found my people. I found my place. And I found my direction. And uh, and I've been on a steady path since then. Mm -hmm. So early on in life. Yeah. That was, I was a reentry student. So I was into all the way into my later 20s. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. I was going to say, I went all the way into the law before I figured out that was a bad mm. idea. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. good to, it's good to find your people. Right. That's yes. great. So, um, so let's get a little bit into your um, path in psychology and sort of the, I mentioned a lot of the areas that you specialize in, but why don't you talk a little bit about kind of what, um, what you enjoy, maybe mm-hmm. enjoy is the, <laughs> what you enjoy talking about, what issues you enjoy dealing All with. And I'll share that some in the development of my profession also. And that would have begun as a um, undergraduate when philosophically some of the underpinnings of 
um, you know, a counseling orientation. I was introduced uh, to many theoretical orientations, and the existential um, philosophy just really captured my attention. And it was new to me, new concepts, new ideas, and they grew me personally. Part of what I love about this work is that the professional is also the personal. What I learn professionally, I can uh, I can apply to myself and and learn and grow with that. And the themes of personal responsibility was really a, a big one for me. And um, beginning to try that on and see, well, how, what does that do for for me to really look at that theme, and seeing the choice and the freedom that that were born of that, it was kind of intoxicating. So very empowering. Um, other philosophies, too, I'm somewhat of a, um eclectic or integrated, maybe, um, uh, psychotherapist. I think that the different theoretical orientations have something to offer. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, along the areas of interest, as I was a, a graduate student and doing an internship, my first internship was working in a chemical dependency program that off- was an inpatient program, and they had a family week. Mm. And uh, so it was the family week that I participated in. And uh, I, I was just, it, it, again, it was very personal what I was learning because um, a grandfather that I had never known and I had heard mention of him being an alcoholic, it always seemed very irrelevant to me. Mm-hmm. And I, so I learned more about adult children of alcoholics and alcoholism and addiction and codependency things started making sense about my own family of origin that um, were born of this alcoholic um, paradigm that my mother was raised in. And things started making sense to me in ways that other family theoretical types of uh, approaches to understanding the family and working with families um, didn't quite, didn't quite make, add up for me in the way that this paradigm did. And um, so that's always been, um, I, would, I guess I would say, a strong suit or a lens that I that I listen through and, and see clients through, because mm-hmm. um, I think it's really powerful. And the um, we say adult children of alcoholics, but we could say adult children of dysfunctional families. It, mm-hmm. It's not just an alcoholic system that some of the models and theories and um, 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 treatment approaches or issues um, address. I wonder mm-hmm. if there are any such thing as functional families sometimes. <laughs> I've, I've often wondered that. <laughs> we all have our own dysfunctions. <laughs> yes, yeah. So often clients will say, is that normal? And I don't know what normal is. I think of normal as that's a statistical kind of a thing and what's the average. And the, I think the languaging is more what's healthy or unhealthy. Yeah, right. And, um, and it's hard from the seat that I sit in. I don't know if I'm getting a representation a good representation of our population or or not right mm-hmm. especially sitting in laguna beach it's mm-hmm. got to be a very skewed mm-hmm. representation yes. for a lot of reasons of our yeah mm-hmm. i think this issue of what's normal versus what's average is going to pop up throughout our conversation i can already mm-hmm. feel it popping up throughout mm-hmm. our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so what year because i um I grew up in the 70s when it feels like alcoholism was just kind of coming out as a um identifiable, you know, there were all this shick shadle, you know, call mm-hmm. call these treatment facilities. So alcoholism and AA feel like they were just kind of getting off the ground 
in the early 70s. And I think also in maybe in the later 70s and into the earlier 80s, um, I think there's a big boom and a big growth in terms of uh, inpatient treatment programs. Mm -hmm. And then from that came some outpatient programs too. Mm -hmm. And then things kind of dwindled back down again because insurance has changed a whole lot on what they'll cover and what they won't and what the programming is. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it felt like, you know, the 50s and 60s, everybody was just drinking and they didn't give that much thought to Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. everyone had several cocktails at 5 o'clock because Mm -hmm. that was just what you did. Yeah. You also were smoking. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Probably doing any number of other things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of, I guess maybe this will come, kind of start butting up against that, what's normal and what's um, average. Um, are there warning signs in life that you would tell people it's time to seek out some help for, you know, like when, when do you know, okay, this is just a normal thing that I'm going through in my life versus, uh, this might be kind of a crisis situation where I should seek out Mm. help from Mm. a professional. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's so valuable for people to be able to even acknowledge that, hey, I could use some help. I don't have to figure this all out by myself. And sometimes that's a barrier for people. There's something wrong with me or I'm broken. Um, If I ask for help, I'm weak. And um, uh, so hopefully if one is finding oneself um, feeling like they're maybe emotionally and or cognitively kind of like in a squirrel's cage and they're just going round and round. Yeah. Um, if they're uncharacteristically just down and they just can't pull themselves up. Um, if people, their friends or family are showing concern for them, um, that those would all be times to reach for help. And it might be, um, you know, that just a couple of sessions kind of help you to get yourself back or sometimes it's just that there are you know deeper concerns deeper issues that are arising and it's your unconscious way of saying it's time to work work with this you know what I love about the generation we're growing up in now is that maybe this is just my perception but it feels like there isn't such the stigma on therapy that there was you know my parents generation felt like man mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. going to therapy there's something seriously yeah. wrong with you you know you yeah I, I think that we have made progress and I think there still is a great deal yeah um, a, a, a long ways to go yeah, yeah. and and yes definitely we've come a good ways mm-hmm. thank God mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in therapy I, <laughs> me too. I don't know it's why you were. I'm sure you me. were. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just therapy. It's it's personal growth. Yeah. And, you know, living a life where um, we can honestly look at ourselves in, in our shadow and in our light um, to look and see where the wounds are and how can how can I, you know, um, help to heal this so that, that it's not somehow um, controlling my life. Um, or hindering my life, um, that's very much of what it what it can what it can be. And, and why and not learning, growing? Absolutely, it's yeah. helping us to become more of who we truly are, and and helps us to um, become more of our authentic selves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think there are so many patterns you don't even know you're doing mm-hmm. until somebody, you know, with some degree of um, separation from the situation yes. and objectivity says. Yes. What's going on there? You know, yes, <laughs> yes, that's an important piece is having somebody who's not in your life sphere that may have an agenda 
about who you are or how you are or what you do or don't do. Right. Um, and somebody who's not going to correct your story. <laughs> in, in therapy, you get to have your story. And, you know, I'll inquire about it and want to know more and kind of hold up some ears about additional possibilities to your story. Um, but it gets to be yours. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. My guest today is Mary Franz. She is a psychotherapist working out of Laguna Beach. And um, we're, we're talking about the broad spectrum of things that might take you to therapy. Um, just some common common stuff that goes on in everybody's life that uh, bears looking at. I think, you know, if you've been married for more than five minutes, or even if you're just <laughs> thinking about getting married, it's not a terrible idea. Or, you know, if you've been alive for more than five minutes, to just clean out the cobwebs of your life and sort mm-hmm. of, you know, get a little perspective on mm-hmm. what's, mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, so uh, to kind of dovetail on that, I wonder if we can talk about some of the common fears or things that prevent people from coming to seek you out. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had mentioned that um, there was some stigma Right. Back in the day. Are there other things that you feel like prevent people? Well, yes. There's a high vulnerability in coming in and sharing with somebody your story, um, really revealing um, maybe some of your darker truths or secrets and maybe finding things out about yourself that you didn't even know. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know I was angry. It's horrible to be an angry person. I'm not angry. And then realizing, oh, boy, yes, I am. Those, those can be very vulnerable, difficult parts of ourselves to um, to have revealed. Um, you know, different ways that maybe we think of people to kind of protect them and maybe idealize them because we need to do that. And then to kind of realize, oh, maybe mom isn't so perfect. Um, maybe maybe my, my partner does have some downsides. Maybe I do. Worse yet, <laughs> you know, but um, um, so there's there's that vulnerability factor. Um, I think sometimes people may not understand um, um, the premium of confidentiality hmm. in therapy. And so they may be afraid that they'll somehow get found out that they're even in therapy, let alone somehow their 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 stories being told at the coffee shop or something. Hmm. Um, a lot of times uh People feel like it's weak. I should be able to figure this out by myself. Um, and I let them know, well, if, if your plumbing is broken, do you call a plumber? You know, you don't do, or do you figure it out? I mean, some people do figure it out. I salute them, you know. But sometimes we have our limitations, and we can't do all things and be all things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and another part is, who do I go to? Yeah. You know, um, I, I think that uh, most people um, come to me through word of mouth. Um, and it's helpful to say, oh, so-and-so said this person was a good one. Because, you know, just like with any kind of practitioner of any sort, there's all kinds of ducks. And, oh, that's um, true, yeah. Um, and and, 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 and a, a, a client is a consumer. And sometimes it's like take some shopping um, to find somebody that you feel that you can relate to, that gets you, um, uh, that can address the specific issues that you're wanting to address. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would also imagine that people in your family unit might also be uncomfortable oh, yeah. with you seeking out. Oh, you know, yes. we, nobody wants to change. Yes, right? and we we don't air our dirty laundry in public. Right. You know, we've got to keep the secrets, or it's a big betrayal. Right. And so that being fearful of, gosh, am I betraying my 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 family if I if I tell somebody else about this or that? Yeah. Um, yeah, that can be a very very tough one for people. 
And if mm-hmm. you were going down a path of change, does that mean now I have to go down a path mm-hmm. of change? Or mm-hmm. what if she tells me to leave you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I often tell people that, that outside my door on the frame, I've, I've considered putting a, a warning label like what you see on a cigarette package of caution therapy may be dangerous to your relationship. <laughs> because it may, you know, mm-hmm. it may be that I wake up and I'm saying, whoa, this isn't okay. Or maybe I used to always say yes, and now I'm starting to say no. And people around me are very conditioned to my saying yes, and they're not going to like it. Right. And so it, that change process can be very, very uncomfortable, not just for the client, but for the people around them. And often, if, for example, if somebody's learning assertion, Mm. And they used to be very meek, and they've never said a no, or they've never said a I want, or something like that. Um, oftentimes, their pendulum out of their discomfort and anxiety to speak up and to have that voice, it may come out way over on the other side of being very aggressive, and it might be a no, you know, kind of a thing, rather than no thank you, <laughs> you know, because it's just that hard and anxious for them. So it can be uncomfortable for for all kinds of parties involved. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. You should also tell people that you've seen everything there is to see and nobody can shock you. Because I think a lot yeah. of people get scared that they're like, I'm going to tell her this and she's going to judge me or she's going to think I'm the worst person mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, I'm a freak. So, I'm a weird. I'm the only right. one. I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like going to the doctor and, you know, taking your clothes off. This is this is that just psychologically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's scary. a very good metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We should all sit there naked so that nobody feels bad. (laughs) (laughs) Or everybody does. (laughs) (laughs) It is funny because I've heard from um, therapist after therapist that they say the healthiest people are the people who seek out therapy. And the ones who really need it are generally the ones that never come looking for it. That may be true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Orange County since that's where we are and that's, that's who our audience is. Are there... Do you think there are issues not necessarily unique to Orange County, but bigger issues that Orange County faces um, disproportionately that that we should kind of be on the lookout for? Hmm. I've got to think on that for a moment. That feels like such a broad. Broad, yeah. Um, well, uh, I'll tell I'll tell you why I bring mm-hmm. it up. So, you know, when as I look around Orange County at the Orange County women, and I see a lot of. Um, physical alterations mm-hmm. <laughs> through plastic surgery. Mm. I've developed this theory about aging in Orange County that we don't experience the change of seasons here. And so we don't have a sense, our body doesn't have a sense of the passage of time. So that, you know, when I lived in a place that did, we did have seasons, I'd say, oh, last Christmas, or when I took out the winter clothes, or when we built that snowman, or when the spring thaw came, that your mm-hmm. body kind of naturally feels the seasons and the years upon it. And here, because it's always 72 degrees and sunny. <laughs> um, today. <laughs> yeah. Like today mm-hmm. and like December and like April. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we don't feel the passage of time in the same way. And so we, our mental state and our body state still feels like no, no time has passed because every day is like the last day. And so it's harder to be, it's harder to age here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. This is my own. Th- I've mm-hmm. totally made this up. Uh-huh. I have. I, I, I have like no basis that. for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's. But it is. It is hard to age here. Mm-hmm. I think for. Well, I mean, for everybody, it's hard to age, uh-huh. but it feels harder here. It feels like people yeah. are resisting it more. Yeah. And I, I think maybe um, in in conjunction with that, and I'd need to think about that a bit more. But I, I, I like entertaining um, that idea, is um, being such an outdoors. Um, 
and physical type of environment. There's such a premium on looking good. Oh yeah, and um, and then I I don't know that it's, I don't think it's just an Orange County thing. I think it's a Western culture thing also of um, more and more faster and faster, and mm-hmm. being such a youth oriented culture, and so there's um, you know just a denial of aging um, that's so deeply entrenched and embedded. I mean, I all see ads for Botox, and it's a, a beautiful girl who looks like she's 14 right you know and it's like oh my god what what is this you right. know and so we i think we get um um programmed right you know very 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 directly and and pervasively um to kind of have this mindset and you know it's it can be very hard to be discerning and discriminating and not just say oh this is just what we're supposed to be this is what we're supposed to do this is how we're supposed to look and going no that's 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 not what a what a 50 year old woman looks like or a 60 70 40 whatever year old um, looks like Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it feels like when I travel to different parts of the country, people look, I mean, they may look very sophisticated and gorgeous, but they, they look 57 or they look 65 mm-hmm. and, you know, they mm-hmm. look appropriate. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, there's something about being here uh, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to L.A. I yeah. think L.A.'s the, got the same The Hollywood culture. effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. But I really like your idea of it being so outdoors that you have to, you know, there, it's always swimsuit season here. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> There's never the bulky sweaters that you can. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's frustrating. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And I guess I, I don't know if you see a lot of clients or can generalize about um the, pre- the the pressures women are under to stay beautiful, and and mm-hmm. I don't know if um, you know we have this um, cliche of of men leaving for younger women, but I don't know if it's that's more a, than a cliche. Uh, yeah, I think it's more mm-hmm. than a cliche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that a big percentage of of what you see and what you deal with with women? Not a big percentage, and it certainly is is I think a very real phenomenon, and I've definitely seen both sides of that party. Um, that that have made the kind you know these kinds of life changing um, choices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it? Um, I don't know. I mean, if women come to you to be counseled into, I mean, you can't counsel somebody into self confidence, I guess. But I don't know. This is on my brain a lot because I just feel like um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's so pervasive. It feels like the women, you know. Pretty much everybody in my gym has had some mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. alteration. Mm-hmm. I just heard, this is apropos of very little, but I just heard women are using Botox to prevent themselves from sweating now so that they don't have to do their hair after the gym. Cool. That wow. if they Botox their scalp, they um, they don't sweat. And so they don't have to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I assume all of these things are self, um, self-worth or self-confidence. Or I don't know, but then there's mm-hmm. a, some some keeping up with the Joneses thing here that mm-hmm. I think is going on too. That is external. That's putting a lot of pressure on women. Yeah, there there it, it is so hard when, in many ways, I think our culture mm, reinforces um, kind of external yeah. um, influences that define us and define our value and. Um, um, kind of who we are and our worthiness and that sort of a thing. And n- no, I can't directly teach self-confidence and I can really um, try and help people 
find more of their insides mm-hmm. and who they really are and what fits for them. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if what truly fits for them is a cosmetic enhancement of some sort, that's okay. And I would just hope that they're doing it for themselves and 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 what their ideas are, and rather than to necessarily please somebody else, or um, because that's kind of what they should do um, for whatever reason, that's that's loss of self, right? And that's a high those, anything any loss of self for anything is a high price to pay. Hmm. I like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I like that. So I guess the flip side of that that I know you deal a lot with is addiction and. Um, one thing that's become sort of interesting to me as I've become a parent is how many mm. women, mothers, suffer silently with either alcohol or a lot of prescription drug addictions. Um, I, I feel like I've come up in this silent generation of, of yeah. suffering. I mean, there's a lot of open book clubs and, you know, things where women just get together and I feel like they're drinking all day, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> mm. They'll drink at lunch, they'll drink at the park, they'll yeah. drink, you know, and... Um, so I I don't know if that is new to our if that's a kind of new phenomenon for this generation or if women no, that's <laughs> that's that's been there and you, you mentioned it particularly um, in the women's culture and um, women's alcoholism and and addictions often are more unseen because we don't want to see them because oh women don't do that and also. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, a lot of shame for it's. I think it's more. There's more shame somehow for a woman to struggle with these issues and problems than it is for men. It's more ex- accepted, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if that's quite the right word, or ex- even I don't know if it's fair to say expected of men than women. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the double standard, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not very mothering, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, because yes, the ideal mother does not do these does things, do these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. right? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. What, it was interesting to me to hear you say um, that it was your grandfather who was the drinker who impacted yeah. your mother, who I don't know if she was also a drinker, but um, this generational pain that is passed down mm-hmm. um, of addiction yes. is very real. Yes. And yeah. um, talk a little bit about that, about how, um, I guess it's the patterns that get passed down more than the behavior mm-hmm. that gets passed down. Yeah. But what are things that um, we should be looking out for in our lives that may be indicators that something is, you, you know, that there is a codependent um, dynamic at play in our families that we might not even be aware mm-hmm. of? Mm-hmm. Codependent at play. I'm, I might answer this a little bit differently in terms of things in family systems to, to be aware of and watch for. Yeah. Um, and this would be dysfunctional families in general. And... That would be, um, there's rules and roles that are kind of classic symptoms, and um, uh, and these things may have some flex and, and progress over time as the dysfunction progresses or, de- or, or alleviates. Mm-hmm. And um, the rules in a dysfunctional family, they're not posted on the refrigerator, so it's not clear, but everybody knows them, and they probably don't even know they know them. Um, and that is, um, we don't talk about our problems. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if mom was dancing on the table at the restaurant last night, we're certainly not going to bring it up today. Mm. Um, if dad came home and fell asleep in the chair and, and night after night, we're not going to talk about it. 
we're not going to talk about how the kids are missing, you know, getting some time to talk to dad or he's not reading them nighttime stories anymore or that kind of thing. We're not going to talk about it or there or there will be excuses made for it. Right. And um, um, so there's a don't talk tr- rule. Um, there's a, a don't and what e- what evolves in this, too, is a, is a don't trust rule. If mm-hmm. mom was dancing on the table last night and we're not talking about it. Or I'm being told, oh, you're just making that up, or no, she she was just kidding, or something. I'm not going to trust my perceptions, mm. and I'm not going to trust what you're saying because no, that's not what I saw. And so there's kind of a breakdown in trust. Um, that would just be a one one simplistic ex- example, and 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 kind of embedded that in that too is um, don't feel, mm-hmm. you know, um, don't be upset about that. That was nothing. There's nothing to worry about. There's don't be ashamed that don't you know that's your mother you should be proud of her or you know a lot of denial a lot of dismissal of of emotions right. so there's a lot of don't feel so that's a, an environment to for a lot to get buried underground yeah. and to for for children um, it, it's a very egocentric time of life and they're the center of the universe and the cause of all things and so wow. I must have done something to... I must not be lovable if Dad would rather fall asleep than to play with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, they, they'll, they, they'll personalize um, the, the slights and the ways that their needs aren't getting met or their wishes aren't getting fulfilled or where they can't talk about what they need to talk about. Um, so those are some samplings of, of the rules in a dysfunctional family. Um, I like um, uh, Claudia Black has a, a model of um, rules also um, that get played out in families. And it, it was so spooky because it was when I was in that internship at the, in the family program that I heard the 13 traits and characteristics of adult children of alcoholics. And, mm-hmm. and I, it was just so odd to me because... Those were I was all of those, wow. <laughs> but it, why would that happen? Neither of my parents were alcoholics, and it was really just this vague memory of this grandfather that all of a sudden he came in the room, because these dynamics are what my mother learned, and in a variations on the theme rep- replicated in our family. So we had all those rules, and this model of the rules. We had four children, and this is kind of, and, and we're, we're textbook. And so this was also in that same talk that he's talking about my, not just me, but my whole family. Wow. <laughs> in, and um, a variation on the theme was my family secret wasn't alcoholism. It was my father's epilepsy hmm. and that he was on medication. And my father was that father that came home and fell asleep in the chair. And it's not talked about, so we don't know he's on medications, and that's why. We just think, I, or I don't know what my siblings thought. I just thought, well, he just doesn't care. And then my mother's getting angry and resentful because she doesn't have a partner here, you know, um, to partner and parent with her, co-parent with her. Wow. So the the, role, the 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 typical roles, and these can these are these are survival roles or adaptive roles. These are not authentic self roles um, that come up here. Um, textbook wise, uh, a first child. Hey, they bring the glory to the family, and they are the fulfillment of dreams and that sort of a thing. So often that child is um, the family hero. Mm-hmm. And they're also, um, you know, the you know get the 4.0s, and they are on the, the cheerleader or the football team or, in the, you know, very much in that leader, starlight kind of position. Hard act to follow for that next kid. So often then you'll get that scapegoat. 
I can't compete with that for that good attention, so I'll act over here and I'll get I'll get attention even if it's trouble. Right. Okay. Mm. Um, being that third child, it's kind of like okay, you've got the 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 spotlight and you've got the the troublemaker bases covered. So that's often a, the lost child. They feel invisible. It's kind of like there's really not a place for me. Hmm. And then I always love how in any good good theater piece you've got tragic you've got comedy. So you often have uh, the family mascot or the clown that brings the comic relief to the family. Um, and so oftentimes um, with, in, with, with clients, or in when, I, when I had taught at Cal State Fullerton, really getting to, and doing a lot of group work, really getting to see how the, the mascot doesn't know how to turn off being a mascot. And it's great to have a sense of humor. And who doesn't enjoy that? And yet, when it's always a reflex response, and it it can protect you from also then getting real, yeah. or being able to get close because it can really deflect people away. So when it's done out of any of these roles are performed more out of its automatic response. This is how I do me because I had a role and a function in my family, and that's kind of how the, the way of the world. Um, uh, the, the the authentic self gets lost, yeah. and and oftentimes um, uh, with clients that I've had that have grown up in these types of families, it's not until like they're towards their thirties when they've kind of maybe done that foundational work of their life, and then they're finding, well, I have the success and I'm on the path I want to be on, I think, but why am I so discontent? Why do I feel at such a loss? Why am I not feeling fulfilled? The picture looks right. But it doesn't feel so good inside because they've not yet been able to discover and cultivate and find out who their authentic self is. It's amazing how that's handed down. Yeah. And that they sort of invented, I mean, epilepsy is just a a medical condition. So it's amazing that they Mm -hmm. invented a secret around something that really shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, I think it was something that it was an adult's onset thing for my father and I think it, well, there's a lot of fear around how, how all that happened and transpired mm-hmm. and he had a lot of shame around it mm-hmm. which is really really is sad. sad yeah and that so for so much of his life that there he was living this secret and our family was living this secret and mm-hmm. and so that, that model that paradigm then of having a, a secret and it, and my father didn't abuse his the medication mm-hmm. but the medication just kind of took him out at the, at the end of his work, long work day Right, right. Mm-hmm. Do you subscribe to AA and Al-Anon? Do you think those are great programs? I think they're really great programs. I know they're not for everybody. I think they're for probably for most. Yeah. <laughs> and I will always tell my clients, um, shop around mm-hmm. and listen for how you, how you are similar rather than focusing on how you're different from the different mm-hmm. stories that you're hearing. And um, uh, just listen for something to speak to you. There will be something. I love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of group, uh, you're not doing it now, but you said you do some group workshops and I'm curious how those go and if they are around a theme, if you do, you know, addiction as a theme group shop, workshop or mm-hmm. kind of how, how group therapy works. Cause uh-huh. I, I haven't experienced that myself. Okay. Well, work- workshops would be a different format than group therapy. Oh, okay. And, um, a See, workshop. I'm totally <laughs> yeah. So a workshop might be like four hours on a Saturday or something and that would be more topical. Um, um, more current topics of interest that I, I'm formulating are um, uh, themes around conscious aging. Mm-hmm. We're always aging, folks. 
Yeah, um, I want to talk about Yeah. yeah. I, I got to hear. I, I'm going to go to that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, um, themes of um, uh, nature is healer, nature is teacher. Um, I'm considering a, a women's group, uh, cultivating women's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's always something for me about women's circles that have always, not always, but they they came to be very essential and very mm-hmm. exciting and very dynamic for me. Um, so in a support group, that would be something that would meet typically once a week, um, maybe for two hours. And um, sometimes my groups have been co-ed, and I love when I have a co-leader. Um, uh, and and then the, the group is sort of more about whatever comes into the room. Mm-hmm. And whatever people bring and share of things that are going on in their own lives, as well as the interpersonal dynamics of how you impact me when you say this, or maybe what you say touch something in me, and I react to you, or it's a story that I'm remembering and that maybe I didn't hadn't thought of, and yet wow, it just came in the in, in the room, and it's really powerful for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really appreciate about um, group work is that's different. How one way that it's very different from individual is with an individual client, I'm one person and I'm one set of ears to hear you mm. and get your perspective. And sometimes I'm wishing, oh, I wish there were other ears here to hear how somebody else is hearing this and get some other perspectives. Because I don't know that I, you know, that something quite popping to me or that what I that I can make the best contribution here. Right. Um, so what is so great then in, 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 a, in a room is that we've got 8, 10, 12, you know, other pairs of ears that go in, that maybe pick up on a word or a nuance or remembered something that was shared last week and move it together and to give, give some reflection um, with. So it's very, very dynamic. Um, How big is it? Um, groups are generally like 8 to 12 people okay. is my, my comfort range. And they mm-hmm. don't know each other. Um, generally not, and sometimes. Okay. Sometimes we'll have, but um, typically th- th- it's it's a draw. One way that I'm interested in doing a group, and I haven't done it this way yet, is if perhaps somebody mm, has a group of women friends, and they, they'd love to form a group together to cultivate mm-hmm. their wisdom or to talk about menopause or their, their aging ideas and processes and that sort of a thing, that it would be really sweet to step into that circle that already has this connection and bonds and a rapport and just to kind of um, um, facilitate and see what comes in that. I think that would be delightful. That would be brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Women are so complicated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My poor husband, you know, he's got, he's got me and he's got a teenage daughter and he's, Mm -hmm. and he keeps saying the language of women is so complicated. I, I, you know. I just don't understand you. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's very textured, very layered. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More subtextured than textured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah. let's talk about conscious aging. I, this is something that I, it's a phrase that I hadn't really come across until, uh, until I was reading on your website. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's great. I, I feel like it must play into that um, earlier con- conversation that we were having about, um, you know, Botox and. Hmm. And defying aging, huh. mm-hmm. um, but anyway, tell me mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about that and what it would well, entail. There, there's two terms that are um, used interchangeably: it's conscious aging and conscious eldering. And it is very interesting because there often is a reaction to, "Oh, 
I don't like that. Mm-hmm. And because the, and the, the conscious part's okay. It's the aging or eldering <laughs> part that people go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I, that I want to talk about that. I don't know that that relates That's to not me. me. Yeah. Well, guess what? We're all aging. <laughs> and I don't know when it is that one kind of starts to think of themselves as elder. But, you know, most of us are going to get there. Hopefully. And it's not such a bad thing. Right. It's not a failure. It's not a defeat. <laughs> right. It's life. Life. And um, it's nothing to be ashamed of, or I think it's something to be celebrated and honored and revered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so in conscious aging, for me, consciousness is really maybe an interchangeable word to awareness, mm-hmm. and it's being aware. Mm-hmm. And being aware of, whoa, what are the changes that are going on within me, you know, as I'm changing physical changes, hormonal changes, um, energetic changes, as well as um, kind of all of that and life circumstances that um, they kind of start to change the texture and the tapestry of life. Mm. And, and so, wow, well, so what is that? And, and, and how do I go through this in an ageist culture? Right. How do I sort out, again, you know, what's true for me in my experience and my values and my, mm, my spirituality or what have you? And, and what is the culture telling me? Mm-hmm. And how do I so- sort that out and keep them be a part of whatever speaks to me from my culture and then say no thank you to the parts that, that aren't congruent for me? Right or are opposed to what I what I believe. Right, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is. It does seem like uh, around the age of retirement, you know, it's such a. I mean, first of all, you have menopause, then you have your children leaving the house, and then you have a retirement. It's just uh, change and loss. Uh, maybe you shouldn't look at it as loss, but change and loss, one after mm-hmm. the next. Yeah. Right? Well, I think change is loss. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, it's sort of like, um, I, I think you mentioned that I work at the senior center and um, I qualify as a senior, I will say. And, um, you know, being in this stage of life, things do change. And it's like, mm-hmm. what used to be a yes isn't a yes anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not like I thought about it. It's just like all of a sudden I, I say yes and then I go, no, <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. so different things just kind of change organically. And, and it's a different landscape. And, and I, I think of, of, really, we can look at all of life, but I think it's become more pronounced to me to think this in, in these terms of um, maybe as we age, there is more loss. Mm-hmm. And that it, it's training, that they're always, we're always in training on how to grieve mm-hmm. and how to surrender and how to let go of whatever it is whose time has come and passed. Mm. And um, um, I think that, that some of those losses are are very painful and difficult. Some of them have to do with self-image or physical well-being or 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 um, or uh, a, a mate that's maybe having challenges and change, roles changing. All of this. There's there's so many types of loss, and um, to be able to uh, adapt. And accept that yes, this is real, um, and um, and so how do we adapt to that and 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 make the best of it? Um, those are challenging kinds of things, and I think the more that we can learn to do that, it prepares us for for the the, the bigger, the more and the bigger losses. I think that we're we're vulnerable to, more likely vulnerable to, as we continue to age. 
I liked that you said that mm-hmm. it was training ground, that yeah. it, everything is training you for the end. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. How we live is how we die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And there's still opportunity for growth. I mean, I think... Um, Always. The, the, the people that I know that are aging so wonderfully and gracefully are still learning and still open to the world absolutely and not shutting down yes i i i think that that's one of the keys to quality of life at, at all ages is being able to grow that's part of growth it's just sort of like breathing you know we have to exhale and inhale and when we get that inhalation it's invigorating and when we exhale it's like ah good you know it's all good and um, yeah great Mm. so you said you worked with nature and nature kind of showing you teaching you lessons Mm. about how to live life let's talk about Mm. that a little bit Mm. it's always so juicy and for me and how do I there's there's kind of like lots of directions I could go with that I keep asking Um, these incredibly open-ended questions mm. so I'm sorry oh no well I'll I'll pick I'll pick a um which way to pick a branch yeah (laughs) yeah (sighs) well I, I think one of the things I'd want to say talk about is beauty, mm-hmm. and I think the, the 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 truest beauty, at least to my heart, is in nature, mm-hmm. and I see the power of that. Um, a time or, uh, a, a couple years ago, I um, did some walks with seniors just out in the local trails. And just to, you know, I thought that I had planned something that was not an ambitious hike, and we didn't even approximate that. (laughs) It was because it was just like going so slowly and just truly looking and seeing the beauty and just the joy that that brought to the participants. You know, the simplicity of that didn't cost anything, um, didn't have to you know hike a mountain or or anything just that that beauty just opening our eyes to beauty i think is huge huge medicine Mm. um we live in the right place yes we do yeah and and really i think we can find beauty anywhere you know i can be in a city and then there's where did that tree come from Mm. oh my god what a beautiful tree you know the rustling of the leaves or the texture of the bark or just that it's there Mm. you know amidst all that concrete you know, it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Um, I also love thinking of the seasons. You mentioned the seasons, and um, I, I love to think of the seasons of our of our life. Mm. And um, and and in that, I, I love to think of life as a spiral journey. Mm. And in that spiral, we circle around the seasons, and and then I can take something such as depression. And liken being in that deep, dark depression is like being in the winter. Mm-hmm. And when we're in winter, we take provision. If, if we think of not like here where we just turn on the light and the heat, but we maybe think of more primitive peoples where, you know, we, we brought in our provisions and we planned for the winter. Mm-hmm. And um, so in, in my winter of depression, mm-hmm. for example, what are the provisions that I want to take in there to make it as kind as I can? Because mm-hmm. winter can be long and cold. And with the depression, I don't know how long it's going to be last, just, just as we don't know how long a true winter will last. Mm-hmm. And so how do we prepare for that? And how do we make it as kind and comforting of an environment as we can? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes blind faith that, that spring will come. And we can't control it. But we can 
tend to ourselves and cultivate and and just even like I say if, if it takes blind faith just know it'll come I can't control when but in the meantime it's my job to continue to nurture and care for myself and go into my own interior go into my own darkness um, have that courage to go into those shadow deep dark places and be with them without and can I learn to do that without judging mm-hmm. can I learn to observe and and see more of what's in those inter- what's in my interiors mm. and it takes a warrior to do that um, many many people it, it can be a scary thing I might go there and never come out yeah. it is a huge fear if I start crying I might never stop is another huge fear and we do we will come out think there's all, one of the promises of life is things will change yeah. the season will change the tears will stop the sun will come out um, uh, it's it's funny you say that because I've always had my other theory beyond my cosmetic surgery theory <laughs> um, is that there's such a, a problem with teenage suicide because they haven't been through a cycle of pain. And mm. if a teenager hasn't experienced coming out, they can't imagine that they ever will. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if mm-hmm. they think that they're this, this is life and I don't mm-hmm. want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's yeah. a really powerful and message. And right now is forever. And right you now know, is for, forever. For not just for teens, but for so many people. And mm-hmm. and we're taught, I mean, how many times, how many times have you, have I walked down the street or sat in the market and maybe you're kind of have a ponset face and usually it will be a man, but it could be a woman that says, smile. Yes. I'm not here to smile for you. I'm not here to please you. You know, and so this, these external messages that I have to have a certain appearance and presence for somebody, a stranger, right. no. You know, so there's just different ways, again, that we get messages that somehow, you know, being ponsive or being serious, sad or or having tears or whatever somehow isn't okay because others get uncomfortable. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I really like that it's something that you can prepare for, that yeah. that you see, you know, winter isn't maybe here right now, but that it's coming and to kind of build up mm-hmm. your toolkit of, yeah. of what you'll and need. And as I things. merge out of that winter and come into a spring or a summer and a time where there's more lightness in my being, I'm learning more life skills. I may be learning more cognitive skills. I can still be learning more more things about me. I can be developing um, a stronger support system mm-hmm. and all of these things so that if and when a winter comes of, of depression comes around again, I have more to take into my cave with me to support and sustain me. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's wonderful for winters that you can predict. I mean, I think menopause mm-hmm. is one of those, that it's a winter that is coming. Mm-hmm. It's not always winter for some women. Few really? women get away with that, that winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm writing mm-hmm. that down. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not for everyone. It's a possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or empty nesting or kind mm-hmm. of these natural, um, these natural winters that will come yes. that you can build your nest up for. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be visiting these workshops. Mm, I'll love it. Yeah, you're very welcome. You know, another piece about the spiral journey mm-hmm. and the, the and cycling around the seasons is a spiral. If you follow the the ring of the spiral, it moves upwards. And I liken that to um, higher consciousness, mm-hmm. being more aware. But we could also um, turn it around and think of it as a spiral that goes deeper into ourselves. Mm. So I think it's really both at the same time. Maybe is that a helix? I I'm not yeah, quite sure. Yeah, d- double helix. You know right? where, where you know, as as I, I've learned to really appreciate my winters because I feel that they've helped me to cultivate my soul mm. and deepen my my spirit, 
and and are a very valued part of who I am. And I've gotten really important information and be able to do some very essential healing. So um, so so today versus a, a good while back, I feel there's a lot more wholeness, a lot more intactness. And that's today. That may change. I, I, I very well may come back into a winter of depression. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really great. Mm-hmm. There's so much to think about here. I've got, I'm sitting here processing, but mm-hmm. uh, that's good. And the other, I think, thing that a lot of my generation is under now is the, the sandwich generation of, of being on both ends of the spectrum, of yeah. being mindful of elder parents um, mm-hmm. and, and all the needs that they have and being mindful of raising teenage. You know, I have a yeah. teenager and, an, and a failing dad. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know what you tell people that are in kind of straddling both of those worlds or if there are, there's, I know you don't give out advice. Uh, therapist you're, right. <laughs> uh, you're right. I don't I try not to give advice. <laughs> that was my most uh. frustrating thing in therapy is I was like, oh, just tell me what to do. Why don't you just, <laughs> you know the answer. Why don't you tell it? <laughs> I know your answers. I know you better than you do. <laughs> I always know I'm in trouble if I think I have the answers for somebody else. But it, well, I forget your phrase, but it was a great phrase about. I guess it's just honoring the authentic self, and when you mm-hmm. know that the whatever essentially is you is slipping away is yeah. is when you should take yeah. notice. Yeah, and it can be That's hard right. to know what's authentic self. Right. It can take some some real long time of searching and figuring that out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you believe we're almost out of the hour? Mm-hmm. What happened? You told me it would go fast. It goes so fast, yeah. right? I'm yeah. looking up and I'm like, oh my gosh, we've. <laughs> ah. Are there things we should have talked about that? Um, mm. I know you don't give advice. I always, yeah. I always mm-hmm. end with, what advice do you give? But you can't give advice. But are there, are there, um, I don't know, notes that you want to leave people with? Yeah. Well, in not giving advice, what I do tell people, I see my job more is helping you to listen to your own. To uh, it's kind of a three-step thing. Mm-hmm. Listen, help you find and listen to your own voice, like a two-step thing. And then the second would be. To, if you choose, then to put those voices into action. Because mm-hmm. it, it's mm-hmm. one thing, and it's a huge step just to be able to hear my own voice. Right. But then what am I going to do about it? You know, right. so so that's that's another big step. And and I really do see that as being much more, uh, a much greater service and um, more honoring. You know, I really do believe we have our answers inside of us. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that that first step, um, going back to all of the f- people who have grown up in dysfunctional families and where the the self has been squashed for however many years it's been squashed, mm-hmm. to to hear who you really are and cultivate whoever that authentic voice is is mm-hmm. that can be a lifelong process right there. Oh, if it, if it I ever think happens. it is because I think we're always transforming. You know, I yeah. think if um, for people particularly that are growth oriented, they're always going to be growing and changing and shifting, and um, Hopefully, um, it will survive. Some relationships will survive that, and some won't. You know, w- people will outgrow us. We'll outgrow people. We'll shift interests, or you know, just um, alliance uh, affinities yeah. um, as as we grow and change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
This was mm-hmm. a wonderful hour. Yes, it was. I Thank love you. this. Thank so you. Um, I want to tell our listeners where they can find you if they come looking for you. Um, my guest again today is Mary Franz. She is a psychotherapist in Laguna Beach. Your website is lagunaww.com. Mm-hmm. It's a great website. Mm. There's really a lot of information on there mm. about you. what you do, your philosophy, um, different workshops that you're running. I mm-hmm. hope these workshops come back because I'm intrigued. Uh-huh. I will certainly <laughs> let you know when they're up and running. Definitely let me up. know. I would love to have you there. This is really mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. That is unfortunately all the time we have for today. If you missed all or any part of today's show, it will be podcast shortly on KUCI's website as well as Kimberly Martin's website. You can check it out there at KimberlyMartin.com. Stay tuned. Coming up next is Counterspin. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night.